And uh, be sure to give an extra piece to, uh, to Chappie because tomorrow's his 85th birthday. So, yeah, extra, extra piece to you, Chappie. Had a, um, a colleague in, in ministry um, who went to a small Southern Baptist uh, school in Missouri, uh, right near Hannibal, Missouri. And uh, she was in the youth ministry um, class, and they were having their final exam. And so the uh, teacher, the students were there, you know, cramming, getting it all in, uh, in the class. As the teacher came in, the teacher then came in and um, just started reviewing, you know, just to, as just to say, here, let me, let's go through this one more time. Went through the study guide and um, uh, then went through some things from the lecture and then just started to include some things that were in the book. You know, and that's always a killer, right? You know, because, you know, you study the lecture, but you don't really read the book. Um, and so when the professor, professor is Dr. Hufty, um, when he started going to the book, you know, some of the, te- some of the students were like, wait a minute, what's, what's, where's that from? Well, it's in the book, and that was part of what we agreed would be on the exam. So you know it now, but now it's time to take the exam. And so, you know, all books had to be closed, and everybody in their, um, uh, their, their chairs, and then the teacher uh, went, Dr. Hufty went, and he passed out the exams to everybody face down on their desks and said, when I tell you to turn it over, then that's when you can begin. And so um, the, my colleague in ministry, Denise, she turned it over, and she saw that there were already answers in red. And she's like, did he give me the key? You know, accidentally. And, and she looks through and she goes, um, you know, through the pages and um, gets to the end. And there's a, a note at the bottom that's typed into the test. It says, this is the end of the exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you received this A um, for this test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get this A. You've just experienced grace. And he went around to every student and said, What grade, uh, Dr. Hufty asked every student, What grade did you get on this test? I got an A. Did you deserve the grade you're receiving? Uh, no, you took it for me. How much did all your studying for the exam help you achieve this final grade? None. Had no bearing. And then he told them, some things you can learn from lectures, some things you can learn from books, some things from research, but there's some things you can only learn from experience. And you've just experienced grace. And 100 years from now, if you're following after Jesus Christ, your name will be written down in a book. And you'll have nothing to do with it being written there. And this will be the ultimate grace experience. Have a nice break. Now, just think with me just for a moment um, about possible reactions of students in the class. You know, 
There are going to be some students there who are just smiling ear to ear, right? And who are they, those going to be? Who are the ones that are overjoyed? Those that didn't study. Put your hand down, son. <laughs> those that didn't study are just excited. You know, and it's something Jesus says, you know, those who are forgiven much understand his grace. Those who sin much are forgiven much. Those who confess and recognize their sin are forgiven much. So those that just showed up that didn't study, they're overjoyed. Now who are the ones that are probably having the most difficult time? The ones that studied. The ones that studied are like, wait a minute. This isn't fair. You know, this, this is, I busted my tail pulling this together, and I even read the book this time. And you're just giving everybody an A. There's resistance in us to grace, to this kind of grace, to simply someone saying, I'm going to do it for you. You can add nothing to it. Here it is. It's all yours. Receive it. That's the scandal. That's what makes grace outlandish, makes it scandalous, makes it at times difficult to receive. If somehow we think we're good enough, you know, if somehow we add something to it, when we realize we're broken, when we realize we're sinners, when we realize we didn't study, that we are not who God wants us to be, then, man, we're ready to receive it. But the scandal comes largely when we talk about grace in church. Because we're usually the ones that have studied. And Jesus knew that. He spoke, he spoke to that regularly. Um, today, our passage is in Matthew chapter 20. One of the stories of Jesus, one of his parables that he tells at the, really sort of more towards the end of his life. Um, it's found on page 801 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, speak to us through your word. Speak to us through this time. Help us to hear from you what you would want us to hear and how to apply it, how to receive it. Bring it further than our head, even further than our heart, into the depth of our soul power of your spirit speak to us jesus we pray amen this is jesus speaking to his disciples um, for the kingdom of heaven is like and anytime jesus starts that way he's telling you this is the way of god this is the way that, that god does it this is the outlandish crazy way that god does things for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, 
because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this, the, give this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now in this story, the, the landowner is God. You know, the vineyard is the life and working in the, the work of, of God, being part of the, God's people, the being part of the church. Those that are in the vineyard are those who've accepted Christ and seek to follow after Him. And at the, the end, the very end, the last word, what, what Jesus is telling us is that this way of the kingdom, this way of God, it's not how the world works. I mean, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. A common phrase that he would use to describe the way of God, the way of the kingdom. And now, what he's not saying here is a literal statement of the people who are last in line will actually be the first in line. Because if he were to say that, what do you think would happen? We'd all fight for the end of the line. We'd all run to the end of the line. Yeah, it's, I have a, a friend who doesn't um, uh, go out to eat with his dad and, and uncles anymore. He says, it's just no fun. He says, they don't know how to receive. You know, they don't know how to receive from one another. Because every time at the end of the meal, they always get in a fight over who's going to pay the bill. You know, because each one, I'll pay. No, I'll pay. I'll pay. You know, and they go deeper and deeper and puffier and puffier in their chest until it just falls apart. And he says, it's no fun. She said, I, I don't go out to eat with them anymore because they don't know how to receive. They, they've taken the first shall be last and the last shall be first literally and applied it. That's not what he's about. He's saying you know, the ways of God and the ways of this kingdom, they are drastically different than this world. 
For, for this world, the way this world works is, you know, you get what you pay for. The, the, you, you get what you work for. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm still trying to visualize that picture. You know, I don't even know how you do that. You know, but that's the way that, that the world works. And God is saying, that is not the way that I work. You work one hour. You who work the whole day, you get the full pay in my kingdom. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. You come to Jesus. You get all of Jesus in the minute that you come to Him. You don't earn bits and pieces of it. You don't walk your way up into heaven. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Any and all who've come to God have been therefore washed clean, forgiven totally in Jesus and they are fully received as God's children. And there is no distinction between anyone, no matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've thought, or what you haven't done. That's the way of the kingdom. That's the scandal of grace. Now, in our passage, you know, the first workers, they had the hardest time with this arrangement. Understandably so. I mean, they were living according to the rules of the world. That you get what you deserve. You, you get what you work for. And they had worked hard all day. And received the full wage. Now, what they didn't think about was the very fact they had a job was because the landowner had offered them that job. The, the landowner had brought them into their work. So even... Their recipient was grace. The way the kingdom of God is that we get what Jesus deserves because he gets what we deserve. I mean, that is the essence of the good news. That we don't accomplish anything. Just, just like with the test. They'd studied, they'd worked, they'd learned the material, but that had no bearing on the grade that they received. And for anyone before God, the, the work, the study, the, the, the ministry that we do, that has no bearing on God's love for us and His receiving us as His children. It does not earn us any higher ranking in heaven. And for some, this free grace, free to us, very costly to Jesus, is scandalous. It's too generous. You know, it's, it's not fair. I can't receive that. I'm here to tell you, God in His grace is not fair. None of us get what we deserve. In Christ, we get what Jesus deserved. But some, really, they fight that because 
were, were so ingrained that we're a self-made man or a self-made woman that we're the ones that makes it happen. Now, the picture of God that Jesus is painting for us here is a very different picture than the picture that's painted by the ways of the world. It, it, God is not a judge who weighs out our good works and bad works to see if he's going to like you or not. He is not one that gauges your good works according to your bad works and what you should have done and what you didn't done and put it in some kind of formula to find out what your heavenly wage will be. What your heavenly privileges and blessings might be or might not be. Now, the, the picture of the landowner is one who goes and invites and keeps inviting over and over again. Come, work in my vineyard. Here is work that is meaningful. Here is work that is fulfilling. Come to me. Walk with me. Live with me. There's absolutely nothing that you have to do. You just receive this invitation. This is what I've invited you to. And your pay is full pay. If you come and work in my vineyard. That's the picture that Jesus is painting of this scandalous, wide, broad grace and love of God for anyone and everyone that He invites and that come to Him. You know, the, 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 the Pope, when uh, he was here, it's come out you know, after he left that he visited a couple folks. And in, in his visiting list, he sort of shows that, that scandal of grace, that, that broadness of God's mercy. And love, because you know, one person he went to go visit was Kim Davis, you know, who's the the clerk of courts in Kentucky, who refused to do same-sex marriage licenses, and so she was thrown in, in jail, put in jail because she was disobeying the law. So those were the consequences. But she stood by those convictions. So the Pope met with her. The Pope also had a former student who is in a, relation, a homosexual relationship. This partner, the Pope, met with him and his partner. Also, now I'm sure every one of us here has one or both that we'd say, well, why'd the Pope meet with him? And the Pope was clear to say, I'm not endorsing anything, just affirming them and being the grace of God, encountering them. I mean, that's the scandalous grace of God. It starts to push our buttons where we limit that grace. Now, the essence, then, of this scandalous grace, the, the essence of where we see this, the, the ultimate expression of this scandal is at the cross. It's the, the crucified Christ that is a stumbling block to some and foolishness to others. I mean, it, it, it makes no sense that, that God, the powerful God of the universe, would come to earth and die. How does that happen? How does God die? And it's absolutely laughable. It's ridiculous to think that God, the powerful God, would become a weak human being, a baby, a servant, totally dependent on his mother for food and changing. That's a laughable concept to others. It, it is a scandal that God would become human 
and then live and then die on the cross. It is ridiculous. But that, brothers and sisters, is the essence of the Christian faith. That's what we believe the good news is. That the powerful Almighty One became human in order to die for us. To take what we deserved so that we could get what He deserved. You know, and it's not just that Jesus was you know, totally innocent, which he was. But he was perfectly good. So he was more than just innocent. He was the one who healed the sick, who gave sight to the blind, restored hearing to the deaf, who, who fed the hungry, who released people from the captives. And he was betrayed, denied, in an evil, vicious act of crucifixion. He was punished for what he didn't do. He was punished for what we did so that we wouldn't be. That's the scandal of the cross. It is unjust, it is unfair, and it applies to anyone and everyone who comes to Him. Because we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're we're all fall short of who God wants us to be. And in the sight of totally pure goodness, we are, are not just sort of bad, we're evil. We're we're dead in the face of God's holy purity. And so God takes the initiative, enters into the world, and takes our punishment so that we might receive His reward. For some, that's really hard to receive, just like it's hard for Uncle Bob to pay for dinner. So so for some, this scandalous grace is laughable. It's ridiculous. For others, it's grotesque. I mean, some refuse the grace of the cross because it's too violent. Some would even say it's, it's child abuse. And it is vicious. I mean, it, it is um, R-rated I mean, with Jesus on the cross with spikes in his hands and in his feet and blood teeming down his his face, flowing from the wounds of the two-inch spikes that are pushed into his scalp, it is grotesque. And that's just the cross. That's not the whippings that incurred in the... And all that occurred in the 24 hours before. And not even, occur, not even taking into account the emotional grief and horror as he's betrayed and denied by his closest friends. Some say, no, that's just gross and evil and vicious. That, that's, that's too primitive. That, that's not appropriate for our day. Really? What's so special about our day? How many millions have been run from their home in our day? How many mass murders have happened in our day just this last week? 
There's nothing special about our day to any other day. We are just as ensconced and enmeshed in the evil grotesque of our world as any other day. What the cross demonstrates is that Jesus, in His perfection, ventures into the bowels of hell. Into the most grotesque evil. Into that which is more heinously evil than all the other evil combined. That the creator, the good creator, the one who brought life is the one who comes among us and is crucified dead. Denied and betrayed and punished for what he didn't do. I mean, that is the most hellish evil that you can ever imagine on earth. And the reason that he had to do that was not only to demonstrate, but to accomplish the power and the victory of his grace and love over whatever evil you might encounter, you might do, we might think, or we might experience. There is no evil that goes further than the death of Jesus. So that he can reach to you. No matter how bad. What you've done. Or what's been done to you. Or he can reach to, to the molester. He can reach uh, to the mass murderer. He can reach to the oppressor. He can reach to the racist. To the, to the greedy. He can reach to those that are just. Passively indifferent. He can reach to any and every one of us and any and every one we know because He has gone to the depths of evil. So the cross had to be grotesque. It had to be evil to show us and to accomplish the very victory of the resurrection. When he was raised to new life, that shows that that he is greater than whatever evil we encounter or have done. That's the scandal. Scandal of the cross. The cross is so evil in order to show you no matter what you've done What's been done to you. What's been done around you. It's God's character. God's love. And God's grace. That gives us the full wage. Not how long we worked. Or how long we didn't work. You cannot and no one can. Add even a microscopic tad. To God's love for you. You can't add a single element. It is infinite. And you can't do anything to chip away even the smallest quark or atom from his love for you. That's the scandal of grace that you just received. Will Campbell was an old Southern Baptist minister. He died a couple years ago, about the age of 88. Now, he was a theologically conservative and socially liberal. 
Personally, those are my favorite kind of, spirit, of Southern Baptist ministers. Um, they're, they're just really an odd bird everywhere they go. And they're just fun to hang around and come up with some wild sayings. But Will, he understood grace. And he, he was evangelistic. He was inviting anybody and everybody to come to, to know Jesus. And so he was hanging out at Yale uh, Divinity School. Uh, you know, pretty much one of the bastions of theological liberalism. And he loved it because he was an odd bird there. And he was telling people to come follow Jesus with him. And he got into all kinds of esoteric discussions about what it meant to follow Jesus. But one time his friend, P.D. East, who was an atheist um, newspaper reporter, but a good friend of of Will's, um, asked him in a public uh, debate, in ten words or less, what does it mean to be a Christian? How would you define the Christian faith? Now, I'm going to quote uh, Will, and he had used salty language. Matter of fact, this is a very, this is a bad word. We don't even hear this word very often. Even today, we still don't hear this word very much. But they asked him, what is, ten words or less, the Christian faith? All of us are bastards, and God loves us all. That's actually a pretty theologically deep statement. Say that we're all children who have no home. And God welcomes us all home. And it says it in a scandalous way. I mean, it captures scandalous grace beautifully. Well, a few years after that, and uh, uh, Will Campbell was still up at Yale, and um, his friend P.D. was still with him, and... um, uh, Will's good friend, uh, Jonathan Daniel, had gone down to Lowndes County, Alabama in 1966 to help with Voting Rights Act. So it's a rather risky place. If you've ever been to Lowndes County, Alabama, not much has changed since 1966 there. And uh, Jonathan Daniel went into the local store, got him a Coca-Cola and a Moon Pie with his colleague and two of his black friends from the area. Dangerous work that he was doing. And he stepped out and uh, Thomas Coleman uh, um, from the area shot him. Killed him on the spot. And and Will was, he he was distraught. Broken. He he, he was, didn't know what to to do. He was 42 at the time. And, uh, his friend P.D. came up to him and, asked, and they were talking and he was sharing with him just his anger and rage. And he asked him, well, you know, um, Will, and Will recounts this story. Was, was your good friend Jonathan, um, was he a bastard? Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, there were good, great things about him, but there were other things that weren't. What about the guy that shot him? What about Thomas Coleman? Was he? Sure he was. It's easy. Okay? Well, according to your definition, then which one of these bastards does God love more? And at 42, what Will Campbell says is that was his conversion day. He started weeping and laughing at the same time. Because the scandalous grace of God just overwhelmed him in the midst of his grief. 
And eventually he left Yale. Pretty soon after that, he quit the work he was doing with the National Council of Churches and he went back down south and lived in a scandalous, grace-filled role as a chaplain to the Ku Klux Klan. Hanging out with them in all kinds of disreputable places. Being the proclaimer of the mercy of God. To bring about their transformation. He also hung around with Dr. King. He was actually with Dr. King at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis when he was shot. The only, he was the first white man to see him dead. He got in more trouble after that too. Because soon after Dr. King was shot, he visited... James Earl Ray, the man purported to shoot him, in jail. Because he knew the scandalous, the limitless grace of God. And he was called to go into those places and speak and proclaim that grace and invite everyone, no matter if it's the 11th hour or the first hour, to come, join in the party, join in the work party, join in the vineyard. You don't have to pass any test. It's already been passed for you. You've got an A. The study you did or you didn't do doesn't matter. Jesus has done all the studying for you. He's done all the work for you. Just come to Jesus and follow Him. You don't have to be good enough, smart enough. You don't have to make up for the evil things you've done in the past. You don't have to somehow work up enough goodness. The scandalous grace of God in Jesus Christ invites anyone and everyone at any time to come to Him and receive that forgiveness. Nothing you can do can add to it or subtract from it. It's a crazy, lunatic, outlandish Scandalous grace. I wonder today, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 101st time, that you just need to receive that grace. You just need to let go. Somehow, maybe some of you are holding on to the good stuff you do. The, the good stuff that, that somehow makes you better than others. Somehow you've worked a little harder. You, you got to the farm a little earlier. You studied a little better. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter in the scandalous grace of God. Or maybe that, that some of you are, are really in a hole. And you've dug that hole for yourself. And you're like, you know, once I get my act together, then I'll come to Jesus. That's not how it works. Nobody gets their act together in order to come to Jesus. Makes it clear, you just come to me as you are. Receive my grace. And you're freed in me. You're forgiven. You're mine. Nothing more to do or add to it. That's a scandalous grace. Don't you want to just add something to it? Don't you have in the back of your mind, but, pastor, 
I do, and I'm the one saying it. <laughs> you know, I want to add something to it, but that is the scandalous grace of Jesus, that you don't have enough good in you to amount to anything before the goodness of Jesus, and neither do I. So come to the table. There'll be, come to prayer stations that'll be around at the same time. Just invite you in this moment just to, to release those things. Release the, the pain and the grief and the evil that you've done that's been done to you. Release that to Him. Take everything out of your hands. Because the problem is, if you got something in your hands, you can't receive it. So whether it's evil or whether it's good stuff that you've done, take it out because that's not what we're here for. We're here to receive that grace and mercy from Jesus. What we'll have um, here, we'll have communion stations set up here to receive from him. And this, this, this is the, the, the table that we celebrate. I mean, this is where we receive. Now, I don't want you to run. You don't need to run, and you don't need to take a whole handful of bread. That, that should be what you want to do, man, to receive this grace, this freedom, this goodness. I want it all. Give me that loaf that you're about to touch. No, it just represents the body and blood of Jesus. Receive that. Let His Spirit work in you. As the, as the, the bread and the, the, the juice, they sort of nourish your body. Well, in this moment, let the Spirit nourish your very soul. Take this truth into the depth of your being. Empty your hands. Come and receive. You take the cup. And in the... Um, in uh, the... Uh, uh, these baskets, you get the bread, you dip it in the cup, and then um, eat it. And if you take the bread and you eat it first, and you, that's okay. Just get another piece, then dip it in, and, and then eat it and receive. And you'll see other uh, elders uh, in the um, area that are there with little vials of oil. love to pray with you and for you, whatever that need or concern might be. Or if it's simply just... Just pray for me to, to receive God's grace to the fullest. Just do that in this moment. That's what this table is about. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for Jesus we thank you for this table. We ask now that you would be at work. As we take this bread and this, this cup, that you would nourish our very soul. You would feed our faith in the power of your spirit in a mystical way beyond what we know or even feel. That you would, the power of your spirit, communicate to us the scandalous grace that receives us just as we are. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.